of our message this morning is mistakes sinners make. Perhaps as we read through here, you'll see these mistakes. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, What are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. And this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun." When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know it, he cannot find it out. Lord, this morning as we look into your word, it's our heart's desire that this would be your your message to us as a congregation from your word. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see here in this text is the first mistake uh, sinners often make is rebelling against God-given authority. We see that in verses 1 through 9. Solomon is given, given advice to people who serve the king. In Solomon's day, they had a king, and this king had absolute authority. There was no vote, there was no senate, there was no house of representatives. Whatever the king said, that was the law. Therefore, dealing with the king could be a very dangerous thing. You had to have wisdom when you did that. Most most of the kings were evil. All of the kings were sinners. And so it was only natural for people to resent them or oftentimes even hate them. And Solomon says here that wisdom transforms the disposition of a person toward the king. In verse 1, in other words, the king can tell if somebody's mad at him just by looking at their face, just by the way that they carry themselves. And you and I can as well. We know if a person's upset with us simply by the way they carry themselves around us. Now, why does this matter? Now, look, look at how people respond to our political rulers today. I mean, think about the president. I mean, there are jokes made about the president. doesn't matter if he's a Democrat. doesn't matter if he's a Republican. Uh, people uh, say often terrible things about him, degrading things. People go on social media and they make posts about the presidents. Uh, in fact, they'll even insult the president to their face. But I promise you, in Solomon's day, that would not have happened to a king. 
And if they did do that to a king, they would only do that to a king one time. John the Baptist, you remember him, he told Herod. He said, hey, quit committing adultery with your brother's wife. And what did Herod do? Well, Herod had his head cut off. Now in Solomon's day, the king did have advisors. And that's probably the context of the beginning of this chapter here. This will be a person who had made an oath toward God. God, I'm going to serve the king. They promised to protect the king. They promised to serve the king. But the temptation would be when you disagree with the king, take a stand. And Solomon is giving practical advice about a situation like that. Let's look at the advice he gives. Verse 3, be patient on taking up causes against the king. Verse 4, remember your word doesn't have the same authority that the king's word has. And then in verses 5 and 6, wisdom will help you know the right time and manner to accomplish your goal. So if an advisor to the king goes into service with his own agenda, has his guns blazing, the idea is he could get fired, he could get imprisoned, or he could even lose his life. So Solomon's saying, look, if you want to accomplish a goal, you don't want to make the king mad. You don't want to upset the king because if you do that, you're just going to lose your job, your freedom, or perhaps even your life. Now, by the way, this is actually great life advice. We live in an age of angry people. And sadly, the internet and often in church, forgiveness is not encouraged. Anger is encouraged. If we disagree, we just want to fight somebody. If we disagree, we just want to name call. If we disagree, we want to get someone fired. Trust me, I know about that as a pastor. And that's sad. And Solomon is giving this advice and he's saying, look, you got to understand with this king, with these people in authority. Now, now the second thing I want you to see is he, say, he says that rebellion toward authority is not virtuous. There are systems of authority in this world. Many of these systems are actually God-ordained. The authority of the family. The authority of the family. God says the husband is the head of the family. God says the woman is to be loved like Christ loves the church. God says children are required to live in submission to their parents. Then there's the authority of government. God says that He's the one who puts the rulers in place and we're to recognize them. And as long as our submission to them does not mean that we sin, Romans chapter 13 says that we're to submit to them. So there's the authority of the family. There's the authority of government. There's the authority of the church. That God has given the church elders. God has given the church deacons. God has given the church members who operate according to their gifting, who operate according to their abilities. Then there's the authority of employers. The authority of employers. Scripture says that we should submit to our boss and we should work as if we are working for the Lord when we work at our job. Now oftentimes, those who are rebellious toward one of those systems will be rebellious toward all of those systems. Our, our culture is constantly encouraging us to fight, fight, fight. Fight for your rights. When I was a kid, we had a song by the Beastie Boys, and they told us that we had to fight for our right to party. Does anybody remember that? Listen, it's okay to fight for some rights, but some rights shouldn't be fought for. We shouldn't be fighting for our right to party. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's not a proper way to stand against violations of, of human rights. There are. But much of what we see today is really about sinful desires. Sinful desires being normalized. The right to kill a baby. The right to call boys girls. The right to redefine marriage. Rebellion toward the system of authority God has given us is not virtuous at all. It's actually dangerous. And we should be very careful when we decide to fight against authority. We should make sure that we're only fighting against it because, because it is contradicting what the Word of God says. Now, 
Rebellion toward King Jesus is the absolute most foolish thing anybody can do. Because there is a king who's perfect. And his name is Jesus Christ. And the motive of this this king cannot be questioned. The will of this king cannot be thwarted. The word of this king cannot be corrupted. Everything King Jesus says is true. Everything King Jesus does is good. Yet there are still people in our world today who seek to rebel against Him. Listen to me, friend. It is foolish to rebel against God. Now, we, we, we all have two choices when it comes to Jesus. We can join Jesus or we can be judged by Jesus. He is the ultimate authority. He's never going to be voted out. No one's going to take His place. Now, I want you to see two things in verse 8. Two things in verse 8. First of all, to rebel against God is to, to, is to choose death over life. Secondly, joining God's enemies will not help you. Now, the end of verse 8 describes a person who, in an attempt to defeat the king, joins the king's enemies in a time of war. So this guy's a traitor. This guy's a defector. Listen, folks, Jesus has all authority in heaven and in earth. He's not going to be defeated. His will is going to be done. He alone has the power over life and death. So here's the thing. You can join those who are in rebellion to Jesus. That's your right. You can do that. You can absolutely do that. But it's not going to end well for you. It's our responsibility to bow our knee to Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility to recognize that He is the supreme authority and He deserves our submission because He is the Creator and He is the ruler over all of this earth. And so the first mistake we see here that that sinners make is rebelling against a God-given authority and believing that that's a virtuous thing to do. Now, the second thing I want you to see here, the second thing I want you to see, mistake, is mistaking God's common grace for His approval. We see that in verses 10 through 13. Look at verse 10 here. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is also vanity. Now, wicked people may have wonderful lives. Solomon describes an experience that he personally had. He went to the funeral of a person who was ungodly. This was a funeral of a person who was wicked. And as he was at that funeral, he was remembering that person. And he said, you know, I I remember how I used to go down to the temple. He was down there at the temple all the time. And I remember how when he used to go down to the temple, people would praise him. Oh, so good to see you down here. So glad, so glad that you're here. And this was a man who was well known. Well known in the city. Well respected. But Solomon knew him and he knew he was a wicked man. And it really seems to me as I read this that that funeral bothered Solomon. It really bothered him. What did he hear that day? He went to that funeral and he knew this man was wicked and he heard how great that man was that day. He heard how much this man had accomplished. He heard that this man was now being rewarded in heaven. And what did he do? Well, he sat there quietly. But that funeral really seemed to bother him. Listen to me, folks. You can be a good person in the eyes of the world, but still be wicked. Because God measures goodness differently than we do. You can help people. Still be a wicked person. You can be successful and prosperous in this world. Still be a wicked person. You might ask, well, how in the world, Pastor, if this person is such a wicked person, how do they have such good kids? Or how did they accomplish so much? Or how did they have favor within the community? 
And the answer to that is because of God's common grace. What is common grace? God's common grace is given to the lost and the saved. Jesus talked about it when He said that God makes the rainfall on the just and the unjust. God blesses us with grace that's not necessarily saving grace, but grace in this world that even sinners can enjoy. Wonderful, wonderful grace. But understand this. The unredeemed heart, the unredeemed heart will make a person believe that because good things are happening to them, that God must be okay with them. And that brings us to the next point under this one here, that the unredeemed heart is a deceitful thing. Verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. You see, he says the reason that some people don't recognize evil is because God's justice is very seldom immediate. If God treated everyone like He did Ananias and Sapphira, the church would be just as holy as you can imagine, man. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They lied to God. They lied to the church. They came in. They were just struck dead. The whole church said, whoa. Now God very seldom does anything like that, but He did with Ananias and Sapphira. But the truth of the matter is, is God often is patient with sinfulness. And you can have a very good life in this world without Jesus. You know why? Because you live in a free nation. And if you work hard and if you're disciplined, you can have a good life. You can have a good marriage. You can own a home. You can get a good job. You can go on vacation. You can retire. You don't have to go to church to prosper. You don't have to give your finances to prosper. You don't have to serve the Lord to prosper. You can adopt an absolutely sinful lifestyle and prosper in this world. You can be a drunk. You can cuss like a sailor. You can shack up. You can do whatever you want to do and you can be blessed in this country. Lots and lots of sinful people prosper in our country. But beware of the deception of the heart. It'll say, oh, look at you, man. You're doing good. If you weren't pleasing God, why wouldn't you? Why, why, if you weren't pleasing God, you wouldn't be blessed like this. This wouldn't be happening to you. You see, an unredeemed heart will always justify sin. There, there's been many who claim their life is actually better without Christ. There's been many who've walked away from the church, walked away from Christianity and said, you know what, my life is better without God. And they're settled in their sin. They're settled in their sin. And because life is going so well, they assume that all is well. Listen, your life may be well without Christ, but your eternity won't. Your life may be well without Christ, but your eternity will not be well. Now who is it that has saving grace? Those who fear God. Verses 12 and 13. Those who fear God have saving grace. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him, but it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. You see, the experiences of, of Solomon here, they don't affect his theology. He says, look, even if a sinner dies a hundred times, I'm sorry, does evil a hundred times and prolongs his days, he says, it still will not be well with the wicked. Solomon was a man who knew many. And he knew many men who had, were wicked and had lived long lives. Solomon had went to beautiful funerals of wicked people. Solomon had heard people praise wicked people. Yet he says this, it will not be well with the wicked because the wicked do not fear God. 
And so this morning you say, well, well, pastor, he was a good man. That's not the question. Did he fear God? Pastor, he was a giving man. That's not the question. Did he fear God? He was a nice man. No. Did he fear God? He was a good dad. Okay, but did he fear God? He was a hard worker. No, but did he fear God? Solomon says in verse 12 that it will be well with those in eternity for those who fear God. And that's a question for me and a question for you. Do do we fear God? God has blessed us. But do we fear Him? God has been good to us. But do we fear Him? Does a reverence for God impact the way that we live our daily life? What's the requirement here? Well, it's fearing God. Ultimately, it's revealed by repenting of your sins and coming in faith to Christ who has died and risen again for you. In other words, if you fear God, you'll repent of your sin. If you fear God, you'll believe in the work of Jesus on the cross. If you fear God, you'll call out to Him for forgiveness and submit to Him as the Lord of your life. That's ultimately what you'll you'll do. There is no common grace after you die. After you die, there's only saving grace. And if you don't have saving grace then you're going to be in a lot of trouble when you leave this world. If all, of you have, if all you have is the common grace of God, your eternity is going to be absolutely unbearable, friend. And so think of all the grace that we all have in our life. I mean, we're a blessed people. But do we fear God? Do we walk in the fear of the Lord? Do we think about His laws? Do we think about who He is and what He has called us to do? Now the third mistake that Solomon says that people make, sinners make, is believing people can fix the world. Look at verses 14 through 16 here. I want to look at it for a second. The first thing I want you to see in verse 14 is injustice will will exist until Christ returns. He says, There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this is also vanity. Solomon says, look, sometimes righteous people are going to get what wicked people deserve. Sometimes wicked people are going to get what righteous people deserve. And there's a whole lot of people who want to fix that. They want to fix that. Well, you know, we want to save the wells. We want to save the planet. We want to right every wrong. Now, to, to be honest, there, there are injustices we should strive against. True injustices that as a Christian you should strive against. Babies shouldn't be murdered. Human rights shouldn't be violated. The planet should not be trash. But we should keep in mind what we do know the Bible says about this world that we live in. What do we know the Bible says about this world we live in? Well, first of all, we know that this world is going to pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away. You don't even have to be a Christian. Just be a scientist. They'll tell you, it's going to pass away. This thing's been wound up and it's winding down. We don't know when, but this earth cannot last forever. The sun's not going to be burning forever. It's just not going to happen. As I said, you don't even have to be a Christian to believe that. That's just a fact. We know that this world is going to pass away. So if your goal is to save this world, please understand that's a goal that you'll never attain. Because this world's going to pass away. The second thing we know, according to to Jesus and the New Testament, is people are going to become more sinful. You're never going to get rid of sin. 
People are going to sin and they're going to sin more and more. That's why churches are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until Jesus returns. Because people are, 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 are just sinful. Thirdly, we know that injustice is not going to vanish as long as sinful people live in this world. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? As long as there's sinful people, there's going to be injustice. Because sinful people do the wrong thing. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm really surprised that more injustice doesn't exist than actually does. I mean, if you're one of these people who's really upset about all the injustice in the United States of America, I would just really encourage you to go look at some other countries. Because I've been in some of these other countries, man. And by the grace of God, we have less injustice in the United States of America than there is in any other country. There's a reason people die trying to move here. The USA is about as good as it gets in the world when it comes to battling injustice. Now understand, I'm talking about injustice from the point of view of the common person. When we look at, when we look at the injustice like abortion, certainly that's a huge one in the United States. But I'm not really factoring that in. I'm factoring in those of us who live day-to-day lives. We had an NBA, a WNBA player who, who was really upset about the national anthem that was being played at basketball games. Uh, She said that the national anthem should not be played at any game, any sporting event. And she went to Russia to play in the offseason. And she had some cannabis oil in her suitcase. And as she was trying to get on the plane, they found the cannabis oil in her suitcase. And now she's been sentenced to nine years in a Russian prison. Now you think about the irony of that. She's living in a country that's... Certainly got injustice, but nowhere near the injustice that other countries did. So much that, hey, let's not even sing the national anthem. And now she's in a country and she's been sentenced to nine years for something that she would have never went to jail for, period, here in the United States of America. Solomon says, look, injustice is here. It's going to be here until the end of time. But I want to tell you, if you live in the United States of America, you ought to thank God. You really ought to thank God. You know, you, you know I've spent a good time in, bit in Haiti. There's, there's no 911 in Haiti. Somebody robs you, you don't call the police. No one's coming to help you. You can get all upset about, hey, I just got robbed. Hey, my friend just got kidnapped. The only help you're going to get is hope to God that somebody in the United States puts enough pressure on somebody in Haiti that hopefully they'll help you. You don't have to be reminded that not too long ago, a whole boatload of people just about were kidnapped for a long time in Haiti. And I'll tell you what, if it was not for the United States of America, those Haitians would have never been released. Why? There's countries there just is no justice, period, in. And by God's grace, you live in a country that because of the influence of the gospel has eradicated a whole lot of injustice. But if you're looking for all injustice to be erased in this present world, you're going to be discouraged. Look at verse 16 and 17. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Solomon says, hey, people are so overwhelmed with injustice, they can't even sleep. 
They're sitting around and thinking about all the terrible things going on in the world. They're trying to find a way to correct injustice, but they can't. Every solution they offer just seems to fall short. Listen to me, church. There's only one Savior, and none of us are Him. We cannot fix everything. And seeking to rid this world of injustice is like trying to bail water out of a boat with a hole in the bottom. You can do all you want. And I want to tell you something. Listen to me. You can march all you want. You can shout all you want. But when you think you have fixed something, you'll realize that something else is just as broken. Just as broken. What's our job as Christians, church? To preach the gospel. Jesus didn't march in the streets of Jerusalem. He preached in the streets of Jerusalem. Paul didn't march in Rome. He preached in Rome. Peter didn't pick it at the temple. He preached at the temple. And one of the biggest problems with the social justice movement in Christianity today is we're replacing preaching with programs. We're replacing the Bible with political ideologies. And I'm going to tell you something, none of that stuff's going to work. God has ordained that through the preaching of the gospel, He will create a people for Himself. And it's those people who will inherit a new earth. And that new earth will have no injustice in it. And again, I say to you, I'm not saying, look, you shouldn't stand up for what's wrong. You should, but you need to understand that there's stuff in this world you're not going to be fixing. And if it's your goal to fix these things, then your goal is going to fall short. What is your goal? Your goal is to preach the gospel. Your goal is to share the truth of the lost world who needs to be saved. Now, God has given us the privilege of enjoying the world. Verse 15, not fixing it. Look at verse 15. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Solomon says, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to sit around and worry about all the ways you've been wronged? He said, because you're going to be miserable. Amen? I'm not even talking about just stuff out there in the world that we could sit and think about. I Just think about in your life. Okay, you got wronged. Your move. Amen? Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just, I'll just be miserable. Solomon says, that's not my advice. Solomon says, I commend joy. I commend joy in the midst of all the injustice, in the midst of a wicked king, in the midst of a world that can't seem to be fixed. In the midst of all this, he says, I commend joy. You say, oh, Brother Kyle, I can't be happy. I can't be happy until every hungry child is fed. I can't be happy while there's a puppy without a home. Well, I got news for you, friend. You're never going to be happy. Solomon says, rather than living in depression because of the injustices in this world, enjoy the life God gave you. Somebody will say, well, pastor, how can you... And I had steak last night, and it was good steak. We grilled it. It was good. Somebody says, Pastor Kyle, how in the world can you eat steak knowing that there are starving people in this world? With a fork and a knife. Amen? That's how I eat it. 
You say, oh, that's so cold, Pastor. That, that's so upset. No, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful. I thank God that we were able to have a steak last night. But God has given it to me. And if God has given it to me, I'm going to eat it. I don't have to live in depression because I have it better than some people. I recognize we have it better with some people. We should all recognize that we have it better with, with some people. But it doesn't mean you have to be depressed. It doesn't mean you have to be sad because injustice exists in this world. You know who's happy this morning? God is happy. And God knows more than we do. And you know why God is happy? He's happy because He knows how all of this is going to end. How's it going to end? Well, God's going to correct it. And when God finishes church, there will be no injustice. There will be no injustice at all. So you and I can enjoy life when we say, yeah, I'm surrounded by injustice, but I do know this, God's going to fix it all. Again, it's not that we don't care. We do care. And we need to show the love of God. And we need to show the character of God to a watching world. But at the same time, we can be happy because we know this. Ultimately, Jesus will bring justice for all when He returns. Now, if I didn't believe in Christ, if I did not have my faith in Christ and the Word of God, I don't think I could be happy in this world. How could anyone rejoice at a funeral? How could anyone rejoice when they turn on the news? If they said, well, this is all there is to it, I think I'd be depressed. But you know what I believe in? I believe in Christ. And what has Christ told us? Christ has told us how all of this is going to end. It's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse. But one day, the eastern sky is going to split, and Jesus Christ is going to come back, and He's going to fix it all, church. He's going to fix it all. God will fix it all. And don't make the mistake of thinking that it's your job to fix this world. No, it's your job to enjoy what God's given you. It's your job to be faithful to preach the Gospel and to show the love of God. But let's not make the mistakes in life that, that he mentions here. The mistake of rebelling against God-given authority. The, the mistake of, 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 of mistaking God's common grace for His approval. Or the mistake of believing that we can fix this world. Let's not buy into any of that. And let's just trust, Lord, whatever authority you've put on this earth, as long as it does not cause me to sin against you, Lord, I will submit to that authority. Lord, I will not mistake God's common grace for His approval. I know that you will bless people who are dead and on their way to hell, but I will not say that because of that, your favor rested upon them. And Lord, I will not make the mistake of thinking I'm as strong as you and that I can fix this world. I don't know where you are this morning. But if you haven't found Christ, I pray you will. He loves you. I'll tell you what He wants to fix more than anything. He wants to fix you. You're a sinner who needs forgiveness. You need God's grace. If you haven't turned from your sins and put your trust in Him, why not call out to the Lord today? In a minute, we're going to have an altar call. If you want to give your life to Christ and make it public, why not come on down? And I know we kind of got a small altar here because we're in the chapel, but you may want to come down and pray for some of the folks in our church who are suffering. Some who are going through some terrible trials in their life. You may want to pray for something going on in this world. Whatever it is that God may be leading you to do, you come as He calls. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus.